Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the DXM Podcast. I am your host, as always, Colborn Bell, and I am joined today by Matthew and Misha, founders of Arsenal. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hi, Colborn. Thanks. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to have you today. Uh, I am going to really get out of the way here. We're going to start where we always start, and that is just going to give both of you the space to introduce yourselves, uh, tell us a bit about your background, and, and tell us what you've been working on. Sure. Uh, maybe I could start. Uh, so, Misha Liebman, uh, I'm previously from another platform called Snark.art. Uh, I've been in the space for a while, uh, since 2018. Uh, about a year ago, we started talking with Katarina Feder, who is another co-founder from our team. Uh, she is uh, originally from Artist Rights Society, which for those of you that don't know, is a preeminent intellectual property organization in the United States representing over 120,000 artists. Basically, it's anyone from the estates and foundations of artists like Picasso or Dali, to any of the contemporary artists like Marina Abramovich or Damien Hirst. Um, and uh, what Katerina was really keen on exploring, uh, and we started having these conversations about a year ago, is the potential to activate some of these traditional artists or estates and foundations uh, and explore uh, blockchain as a potential conduit for their new projects or iterations of some of the older projects that could be done as collaborations between, um, I don't know, it could be crypto artists or it could be any artist with an estate or foundation of one of these legacy um Artists. And so this was a quite exciting opportunity. And uh, we launched uh, about six months ago with uh, Frank Stella, uh, which was uh, an amazing experience and um, a beautiful drop. Uh, we worked with an 86-year-old uh, Frank to kind of uh, reimagine his sculptural works, which were always created as a digital um, product, as uh, CAD uh, models with 3D printing going back to late 80s. And so we tried to reimagine it as a Web3 uh, type project, uh, existing strictly in digital, but having this component that people can bring the works into the analog space through 3D printing or other mechanics. So, yeah, that I'll stop there. And uh, Matt, go for it. Um, hi. Well, I'll just do a little bit of my background, and we can talk a, a lot about these projects. But uh, I, I come. I'm in Los Angeles. I have an artistic background. I did some early digital art stuff that was in Rhizome. Um, I made a movie once that was got picked up by Hulu. Um, did a lot of marketing for entertainment and just some weird collaborations and stuff with uh, different artists. I met Misha a year, well, in, in July of 2021, we worked on a project together in his, with him at Snark called uh, Shitcoin with this artist Castles. Um, it was really fun. Uh, Phillips Auction House did the sale. Um, but after, after that, uh, Misha and I became friends. And when uh, he, he kind of pulled me into the Arsenal side uh, and we, we did the Stella drop together. Yeah, that's my quick background. Hello, guys. Uh, thank you for that. I, I want to take it back, Misha, you know, to, to 2018. 
tell me a bit like about what you were seeing, what excited you, and perhaps maybe a bit about the evolution to to how we got here today. Sure, sure. I mean, um, it's not that different than it is now in, in many ways. Uh, I still feel like the technology is there for artists to push and explore. Uh, we kind of started talking with Andre, my co-founder at the time, uh, in early 18, uh, kind of on the heels of all these projects like CryptoKitties and CryptoPunks. And the idea that was dominating in early 18 is this concept of digital scarcity and ability to track provenance and kind of like these loose interpretations of what digital ownership could be like. Essentially, everything that we're seeing now, but at that time, it was much more conceptual. And we had these uh, two projects as sort of examples of what could be done. And at SNARK, at that time, we were really kind of focused on this concept that what are, what else is there? You know, like, can we push the tech a little bit more where the experience doesn't necessarily evolve around just ownership, but more about participation, engagement, interactivity? And so at that time, we, can, we worked with an artist, uh, Yves Sussman, to come up with this project she had the famous uh piece called uh, 89 seconds at alcazar which is in the collections of such museums as uh, museum of modern art in new york or whitney museum and uh, the concept around it was can we think of this project as being collectively owned but not as a fractional ownership but more like where people would actually own fragments of the visual real estate of the video and then they could choose whether or not they could you know come together and and you know piece it all together or they choose not to share their visual real estate and then the work has to be reconceived at each iteration what video will ultimately be playing and it was super interesting for the artist it was super interesting for us we were probably a little bit ahead of our time in terms of just you know we were pushing interactivity before people even understood the concept of digital ownership, but uh, uh, I do think, and I actually I do hope that more projects of that nature come to fruition, especially nowadays where there's a lot more money, a lot more projects that are you know entering the space, a lot more uh, artists are exploring the space to try to think a little bit beyond just ownership, but more uh, about kind of engagement, interactivity, these things that are right now labeled utility ultimately, but really it's up to the artist to conceive of what that is. Cool. And Matt, I want to turn it kind of over to you and just given your career as a, as an artist, as somebody who's been close to Rhizome as like a creator, what promise did you see in the tech and, and kind of what pain points was it, is it solving for? Um, I wonder if you have any insight there. I mean, it's mostly just super fun. I mean, Misha came into it way more OG than me. Um, but when I came into it with Castles, you know, we did shitcoin out of like um, a, Castles is this really great artist, a longtime friend of mine as well. And, and Castles has the, is super smart and had this idea like to kind of um, – It's like, uh, I'll go into the project a little bit. It was like to play with this idea of the the tulip 
phenomenon, like the the huge pump in prices that was happening during that summer. So Castles wanted to play with it. And so, you know, I would say this is like conceptual performance art. So what we did here, um, we did an NFT performance art. And it was based off this work um, by Manzoni, who he was this, um, you know, in the 60s, he sold his own shit in, in cans. And he priced 30 grams of shit in terms of 30 grams of gold. And now, you know, those works, there's, uh, I think there, I can't remember, I think there's 70, several dozen cans, um, but they go, you know, one of them went for a couple hundred thousand dollars. So um, we were playing with this notion of that. And Castles is a transgender artist. And they um, were like, well, I'm going to go as a nom de plume, make this, um, make, I'm going to eat the diets of famous white male artists. And then if I make if I make the shit that they make, is it, is it the same, you know? Um, so like, like if I eat their diet, why make the same shit that they make? So there are all these like concepts going on with that. It was this, we did one drop per day where Castles ate the diet of a famous artist like Picasso sold the canned shit using the style of Manzoni. And, you know, it was priced in uh, Ethereum. So it's like a crypto project, but crypto gold, it was, it was super fun. Uh, Phillips auction house did the final, the final part of it. So we had, it was a secret until then. And then we did the reveal that this was the project all along because people were wondering um, who was it, you know, they didn't know. And we had all these like zoom calls and private masking our voices. Castles had this mask and did these like fun photo shoots. So um you know, at the end, Phillips did this auction and I don't know, it was like this really cool performance. I, I just learned that uh, and it got a lot of respect in the community. And I just learned there's someone doing their PhD on shitcoin right now. So someone's <laughs> entire doctorate thesis will be on this project. Um, that's kind of a long way to answer your question, but like, that's what I mean, like the fun, like the performance art, I think kind mm. of it inspires people to learn a lot about themselves. And I love when, I love when finance and marketing and art and play mm. and like this kind of absurdity all mixed together into one world. And to me, that's the promise of like NFTs in the blockchain, you know, um, just the potential of community engagement and exploration of fun ideas in the big stage is is really interesting to me. And it had so many different uh, angles and that's what made it sort of exciting because every day we would uh, try to mastermind a new form of attack with the project. And so the aspect where the artist was released, uh, the project was released under the name White Male Artist and all of the famous artists and their diets that Cassius ate were white male artists. And it's, uh, you know, it's a common knowledge that uh, if you look at the top sales of art and history, it really belongs to just white men. And the promise of blockchain has always been this uh, concept that it's a more equitable kind of situation that allows anyone to enter. And it was just interesting really for Cassius to go in at it without actually revealing 
you know, who is behind the project because ultimately you're kind of a starting from scratch. And boy, that was difficult. You know, yeah. that's really hard. <laughs> you, yes, of course, you can uh, be anonymous in blockchain space. There's artists like Pac and others who are kind of hiding, you know, their identities. Um, but if you want to market the project, if you want to get in front of uh, people, you ultimately either have to reveal yourself or you have to have a team or someone that will ultimately push you forward. And then if you looked at that time when we were releasing the project, the top sales in blockchain were still pretty much like probably white male. You know, like it, it just basically was uh, not happening what people were saying. And so this was just another interesting aspect. And Matt was genius. He was like all over social media, like saying most like horrible things sometimes, you know, like to like, uh, you know, the best uh, like post on Instagram was Mona Lisa with like a uh, signed, uh, why don't you smile more like honey, you know, like uh, <laughs> it, 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 it was this type of, uh, a lot of friends of Cassils and a lot of friends of ours were getting really angry at some of this uh, messaging this was the project that was the idea to just uh push the boundaries and again this is where maybe what gets me excited because it's not just about nfts and the technology it's about the art right like yeah. the number one question always in my mind is where's the art in this right yeah. and uh if the project challenges you uh it pushes some ideas it makes you think it makes you feel that's that's it. You feel it if it's there. And so this was exciting to try to, even though ultimately it's just 30 cans of shit, you know, <laughs> as an NFT, yet it has all these different dimensions as far as pushing people to think and feel. Yeah, I mean, okay, so so many things. I'll, I'll just say first, uh, love the point about just like NFTs being able to capture generally what is the ephemeral of performance art, right? Being able to like, have that timestamp to be a moment in time and, and capture things that are generally just fleeting. Uh, I remember getting those DMs uh, for the project and I'm like, here is an anonymous person trying to yeah. sell me a can of shit. And I am <laughs> like, damn, like, I don't know about it, but I'm interested. Uh, I have those DMs still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, it was, it was, it was for sure. Unlike, anything that I had ever seen, unlike probably anything that had ever been done. Um, and looking back, it, it was just like exceptionally, exceptionally interesting. I didn't, you know, I didn't particularly get it, but I, I probably wasn't even supposed to. Um, as much as like the messaging is shared uh, between, you know, what people want to see the, the sad fact of the matter is, is that, yes, like we are really still like replicating this system. Um, so I think the more we can just, again, like just draw attention and awareness to uh, other types of people and expressions, I think we're very aligned there. I, um, I can do a dovetail into Frank Stella because that, it, that same kind of energy we had in Shitcoin and a, a lot of Misha's projects with Snark, we were actually able to bring into our Stella project because Frank Stella is a total badass. Like his life is amazing. He has the best stories. He's, he, uh, 
he just was, you know, always in the avant-garde and pushing boundaries and, and doing really cool stuff and inspiring to so many people. And so when we were doing this with him, he, it's not, we didn't just, these geometry NFTs that we sold, there are 22 works. Um, they were like seed concepts based, uh, seed 3D prints or seed 3D objects based on like, concepts that appear in a lot of his sculptures and um we didn't just give a jpeg or give a video it's like a whole package so there are i view it as a, a bundle so you get um you get yeah you get the jpeg you get the movie but you get these like vr files you get augmented reality files you uh we gave people the ability to 3d print so here we go demo um cool. This was, this was just a, a quick demo we made, but like um, uh, everyone that buys one, you know, you can get them on the secondary market right now. Like if you get one, you you have the option to 3D print in any way you want. Um, we also um, gave people the ability to remix them. So, you know, we had at, during our, our public sale, like at least 60 people, they all were sharing their like recuts of Frank's work, which was pretty inspiring to see like an engaged community based on this 86 year old artist, um, like seeing new light. And the fact that he like released it is kind of insane. Someone of his stature that normally sells for millions of dollars, he kind of gifted <laughs> to the world, his IP, um, and let, let it rip. And, and we, we showed him the videos of people remixing it. He was really inspired. We did a cut of it on YouTube, just home video footage. And uh, he even joked like, okay, if I use this idea, yeah. uh, do I have to like credit them? Do I have to like pay them royalties? So it, it was fun to see him be inspired by people be inspired by him. Yeah. My favorite. Uh, so we, we were, when we were shooting that, um, video it was in his basement in uh, the building that he's lived in since like the 60s or 50s uh it's in west village and in his basement they have this uh like uh, display that's like literally like 20 feet by eight feet it's enormous right so that so his son peter is putting up all of these different remixes and uh, we're kind of uh, getting frank's reaction to many of them and i remember he's looking at one like, I don't remember which one, but he's look, it didn't make the final cut of the video, but it was like one of my favorite moments. He's looking at it silently and he says, you know, if I lived for a million more years, I would never, ever uh, create something like that. Almost like at first it felt like very negative, right? Like, just like, why would you do that? And then he goes, but I can't stop staring at it. You know, like that was, that was actually super nice. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I mean, tell me, let's like rewind it for everybody because it is such an incredible project to take, you know, like a, a legacy artist who's kind of at, you know, the end of their career to transition them into just like a totally new medium um, and to be so open again, to have almost everything like to be printed and to be remixed. And um, how, how did this kind of come about as a product and a concept? Well, this is where, again, it's probably, you know, kudos to Artists' Rights Society. And I totally encourage any artist to sign up with Artists' Rights Society because it's, uh, it doesn't cost anything to sign up. And you get a lot of this pro bono kind of benefits. Uh, 
like legal advice and um, different access to different things. But because they clear the copyright, they, they were never really in the position where they would have any conflict with the artists. They worked on behalf of artists. And so there's a lot of kind of like goodwill that they have with this, you know, artists that they represent mm-hmm. like Frank. And so they, for example, right now, the big uh, news uh, with the OpenSea and the resale royalties, uh, which we could go into or not, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, we could decide. But uh, for Frank Stella, this was critical. The guy in, you know, sells for crazy amounts at all auctions. And uh, he has never until now received a resale royalty in his life, right? Mm-hmm. And he's, uh, you know, with Artists' Rights Society, they are trying to lobby Congress to push uh, like a law that could be at least somewhat similar to what's going on in Europe, where, mm-hmm. you know, resale royalties could be remitted, you know, it could be a le- legally um, accepted kind of law that would allow artists to be remunerated when their work is resold. But that is not the case. And and he was kind of, they approached ARS in early last year to explore an idea for a project. And they wanted to basically just learn more about the space. But the thing in particular that excited uh, Stella's was the resale royalties, which is like, basically as we were releasing the project came under like huge attack but uh last spring when we were having this conversation it was just um it was just an accepted fact that all nfts have this ability to um you know specify resale royalty percentage and and frank was literally kind of really enamored with it and he he didn't do it because he wanted to collect resale royalties but he thought that if he uh you know puts himself in the game with his kind of name and uh, legacy that he could bring attention to this. And so this was, this was really important for him to, to do this project. But then on top of it, you know, if you look back at uh, Frank's history, it's he's constantly evolving, constantly changing from paintings uh, to sculpture. And so this is not really necessarily something that he just you know did uh, at the end of his career i would say it just was a, a for him to like an experiment yeah. of sorts and um we kind of caught him at the right uh, point in the sense that he was interested in it uh it was great that um his son peter was really kind of helping out with communication helping out to arrange meetings with frank at his studio and uh, to allow like us to essentially explain to Frank what ideas currently dominate the space, what is important for this kind of, you know, quote unquote community. Uh, this is where we were kind of presenting the ideas of remix rights and 3D printing rights. And uh, he was game to, to explore it. He was actually kind of interested to have this almost a dialogue through these remixes you know Mm. these uh works are really like seeds for people to explore to bring them into the physical space or to come up with something new there's something really cool there's this great interview he did um i think with whitewall um about the project and 
he was asked why are the, why are the geometries white? Because if you go right now in the secondary market and and go to buy one, you see they're all white. And he's like, well, they're not they're not actually white at all. They're like these are properties we ascribe to them, but really the geometry is. Um, it's a geometry. It's a mathematical geometry. It's it's almost like an energy you're buying. And mm. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world because he's selling like energetic structures. That to me is a geometry. And they come in these different forms, you know, a star, uh, you know, these tubes. And um, that's that's the NFT. And how else can you sell an energetic structure? Like what other medium? And that's an NFT, like you pretty much can only do that on the blockchain. So I, I view it, you know, he's been making these models for decades, but I view this specific project as Web3 native. It can't exist elsewhere. I think that absolutely rules because I just talked about this as well. There is an incredible like energetical spiritual element to this in which even if everything disappeared, there is still what that relationship means and signifies to the people that are involved. Yeah. And like now I, I've been going to these places all over the world, conferences, and it's just like friends everywhere and like-minded people. And you already know because you're in these groups and communities that like we have found a new way to begin to like organize and ascribe value and like give gratitude and thanks to what people are doing. And this is a, a really cool kind of like shared structure of, of value or energy. And if, you know, Bitcoin is like the original proof of work and capturing energy into the idea of a token, we'll hear all these people and artists are doing really just the same and being able to like share that and distribute it. So I think that's a, that's an incredible point. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Should we uh, move on to the latest project you guys have been working on? Yeah, it's, it's really awesome. Let's do it. <laughs> sure. it, it, it I, like, I don't know if we're uh, that great at explaining it, uh, but we will give it a try because uh, we are now just formulating uh, almost like we, we, we forced ourselves to write the description of the project. And uh, that was like a fight to be had. <laughs> um, but um, uh, at first... Uh, let me first speak a little bit about Zebron. Zebron Verstig is the artist. He's a Brooklyn-based artist, although he, I guess, at some, he spent a lot of time in Chicago. It's someone that uh, I've known since the early days, like when we were doing the Eve Sussman project. I remember he came over one time and we just discussed uh, his work, and I was always hopeful to do a project with him because if you ever wind up at Zebron Verstig's, I think it's zebranverstig.com, and at first, it's not clear. The navigation of the site is really kind of strange. It's, a, it's kind of like a rabbit hole when you click through it and then all of a sudden you see what looks like a portfolio of images. It's actually each one is an individual project mm. and his projects are insane. And if there is an artist that was like Web3 ready 20 years ago, it's Zebra. I mean, pretty much any one of his projects like you know and when we started talking to him or like you know earlier this year at the end of last year uh i said what do you want to do and he's like well just take a look at my my, my website and see if anything speaks to you and it mm. was just like 
the worst uh, suggestion. It's like, you know, <laughs> like me going to like an ice cream shop and choosing uh, different flavors. I just can't decide. I guess I'll go with chocolate, but it's it's tough. A hundred flavors, like. <laughs> but there's th this one thing that uh, kind of was interesting when I visited his studio is I started noticing uh, he had this whole generative works that he has basically been perfecting over the past uh like 10 or 15 years it's these like almost like abstract uh digital paintings it looks like uh, it, it actually very much looks like your uh background <laughs> um and uh in some of these works sometimes he does it over let's say uh front page of New York Times and sometimes we, I started seeing images and so we started talking about his whole practice of scraping internet for various types of data and um, this one uh, project that kind of we were discussing is where he was pulling images from Getty images and so we started talking about it and then he started saying how he looks at these generations for you know, days at a time and he has a hard time on, you know, like even fathoming how, you know, what the computer is pulling. And so we started conceiving this notion, what if we give people the ability to kind of curate time? Uh, and then we started, we had this like long discussion over how, you know, when we think back of, let's say, I don't know, 2022 that just happened, there are certain things that happen during the year that are very vivid in our memories. And it might be because, you know, some news channels were active at uh, pushing, uh, you know, certain storylines, but we're, we almost like curated that moment of time, that span of time mm. through these moments. And so we started thinking, what if this algorithm can start actually uh, generating uh, content based on what is trending at the very moment that you're looking at the image. Uh, and so the project, essentially, the, the magic of this algorithm is that every 10 or 15 minutes, it um, looks at what is trending uh, in different subjects on Google. And it could be celebrity gossip, or it could be an earthquake in Turkey, it could be the war in Ukraine, it could be uh, elections uh, or World Cup. And uh, depending on what's trending at that very specific moment, uh, the algorithm then goes out and tries to find visual information that relates to it. Uh, sometimes it's right on, sometimes it's off. I saw it uh, trying to generate something on Drake yesterday. <laughs> And it was pulling these ducks, which I'm guessing is that uh, Drake is also a duck. And it was kind of funny that the algorithm was uh, misfiring because it didn't understand <laughs> the difference between a rapper and a, and a duck. But what what is kind of fascinating is that we we're going to run this project as a performance of sorts. It's going to run for a year. We anticipate that over the course of the year, the algorithm will generate somewhere between 35,000 and 40,000 uh, generations and uh, at any one moment you will see the last maybe six or nine of them uh, on our platform and uh, the collectors who chose to buy these moments they will initially start with this empty canvas and then they will curate time essentially by choosing mm -hmm. moments and if a moment is not selected 
it will be essentially lost in time just like mm. moments are lost in time all you know all the time basically we don't remember necessarily what happened like the earthquake in turkey was something that was super vivid about a month ago and now we're moved on you know our kind of the, the news of the day is always kind of overpowering our mental memory and so we're actually kind of excited to have this community of collectors curate these moments and we will see what will happen at the end of the year the moments that will be selected will ultimately represent uh, this passing of time through the eyes of this collector community. They're very gorgeous, very intricate. He he's been doing this like like forever. Like he's these are quite refined. Um, and it's we're super excited to see um, what what the final collection will be. You know the the community is is part of it like when you curate something your name will be on it so if if you mint one of these colburn we're gonna see the memory you you uh you chose you know and maybe yeah. one day you'll sell it and people will trade on what what colburn decided you know <laughs> and like the collectors uh of our time are part of part of this artwork as well um yeah, I mean, that is that is super vivid to me. I tell people all the time that like each of these does become a fragment of identity in the same way that like hearing a song sparks uh, such vivid memories like these artworks. I almost know exactly where I was, who I was when yeah. I collected it. So to like directly relate that relationship into this project, uh, it sounds it sounds incredible. We're excited to see, like, like what if it's like goes towards sports more, goes to politics, or there's a lot of uh, erotic content too. You know, what if what if we learn that our our collectors are all into the the lesbian artwork that's generated? You know, like who knows? Um, it has the potential to be serious and playful and profound and stupid all at the same time, and and I love I love all of it. How are you feeling about? Like, I think crypto arts, this this new domain, this area is just has gotten more serious. It's gotten more professional. It's gotten, frankly, like more interesting. Uh, we just had a major donation to LACMA. We just had the Pompidou acquire a bunch of works. Uh, you know, what are you hearing about the ways that people are talking about this? And are you feeling kind of an increasing excitement to artists that want to participate? Uh, I would say definitely yes. Uh, I mean, like, I mean, it's still, obviously, there's still a lot of kind of question marks uh, that are going to be probably hanging on top of this for a while. But just like with anything, uh, you know, whenever you are pushing something new, there's, you know, there's going to be people who are going to be questioning it. And I, I remember that, you know, like at Snark, we were really early in trying to pull in traditional artists into the space. In the beginning, it was this kind of, you know, there's all this negativity. I remember that was on the heels of all these like ICO crashes and uh, cryptocurrencies. And there was this, all this rhetoric about not trusting it. And um, it was hard. And then there was the boom. And then like post Beeple sale, whenever you spoke with any serious artist, they kind of didn't know where to even plug in, you know, like even uh, Kassil's uh, shitcoin, uh, was in, in essence almost like it felt like uh, an expression of 
the feeling that many artists were uh, experiencing when they were looking at the space. It was just ton of everything from like really quite interesting works to a lot of garbage. I mean, I, I guess all art is like this, but it, at that point specifically, it just seemed like anyone who was uh, willing to mint any, you know, visual information had a chance <laughs> to invest. It was kind of crazy. And, and a lot of them didn't want to jump on this bandwagon of like hype. Uh, but what I am seeing a little bit more now is ever since we've had a few of these serious artists, including mm. someone like Frank Stella, it, it gives a uh, kind of more legitimacy uh, to the technology and uh, the, you know, the community and the fact that this is really here to stay. And it is interesting enough to explore. And it's, it, to me, whenever I speak with artists, I talk about this, you know, like, again, digital works. If you ever go to any of these like art fairs, like Art Basel, really, we're still living in the in the world where at these major art fairs, you are seeing predominantly physical artworks. But digital, in my mind, is like is actually super exciting because you have you potentially are you have a technology that's flying at the speed of light, connecting thousands of people through a singular experience it's it's mm. in my mind it's 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 perfect for artists to explore and to bring through these like social connections through these uh pods of energy that uh matt was talking about into the space and actually once you add on top of it you know strong artists who are willing to push the envelope willing to experiment willing to figure it out willing to sit with us or like you know months at a time just to understand how this works you can create things that are you know super interesting and engaging and artistically poetic and this mm. is something that excites me and i you know i've seen it uh, myself that when the i had we had these conversations two or three years ago versus these conversations now it's very different questions i think mm. people are taking it more seriously uh, artists are definitely more open to experimenting. The, probably the, the complication is just their inability to do this independently. It still requires mm -hmm. hand-holding. It still requires teams like ours. And not everybody is very collaborative. Uh, a lot of uh, artists want to have uh, more agency and autonomy over their projects, and it's Still, unless you're talking about, you know, let's say a digitally native artist whose work is more static, like a video piece or a digital piece that can be tokenized, that's been solved. That's easy. But anything beyond that still requires a lot of support, which is not always easy for um, some of these artists to accept. We, um, you know, for sure... You mentioned LACMA and the Pompidou. Um, you know, the Stella, our Stella collection as well got picked up by a major museum. We just haven't announced it yet because they're dealing with, um, they're dealing with internal, the mechanics of it. You know, some of these museums, they, they just don't know what to do with these wallets and who holds the key and how to like properly archive it. It's, it's really like, uh, 
it, it takes a second for these to catch up, but they definitely are catching up these traditional spaces. So I know when we finally start talking about this Stella acquisition, it's going to give some energy as well to, to this concept. And it just feels unstoppable to me that this is part of our new reality. Yeah, it's actually quite interesting. Uh, we had a number of conversations with the museums or people who work at museums. The types of questions that they're dealing with, they're actually a couple of they're super interesting. I mean, like, for example, if yeah. you know the museum wallet, right? What hmm. is stopping you from airdropping your wallet? <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, like simple things like this. Of course. Yeah. yeah. It's Look, I mean, that's, I, I deal with that, you know, and that's, yeah. that is, it's incredibly annoying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you would be the expert. Like, we were really annoyed that people were airdropping stuff. And then it's like, okay, do we, like, go in and just delete them all the time? But then you don't want to go into your cold wallet that often. Annoying. It's, it's so annoying. <laughs> yeah, what do you do? You just let it go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and then on OpenSea you can hide it. But it's how do people actually see and experience it for the most part? It's on our website, right? It's not yeah. really on so you know the fact that other things are there it is it is what it is um but it's us kind of like saying this is what it is is actually mm -hmm. believe it or not what it is um that was our suggestion in the moment to talk about having a curated presentation of the wallet as opposed yeah. to yeah yeah you know that's that's funny too because i remember uh robness this is a weird example but i remember robness sent something to anthony hopkins wallets when he announced that he was buying something and it probably wasn't anthony hopkins but the anthony hopkins team did go and then burn that artwork and he was like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah okay guys last word is yours please let people know where they can find you where they can uh, get in touch um Sure, Matt, go for it. Yeah. Well, arsenal.art, spelled A-R-S-N-L dot art. Um, everything's there. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram. We have a great Discord. Um, all our drops will be there. The Zebran upcoming projects there. Um, that's the easiest way, social media. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Zebran's drop is in uh, le slightly less than two weeks, so we're penciling in and around March 12th, March 13th. Uh, but we have a couple of more drops coming up in April and uh, May. So definitely follow us. And, uh, you know, we're just hoping to bring cool art into the space. And, you know, it's really for everyone to enjoy and explore. So let's do it. I want to give just a special thank you to you guys. Uh, we had Matt and Misha, Arsenal Art. I'm Colborn Bell, Museum of Crypto Art. Thank you to Dementi for putting us all together. Uh, and it's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Colborn. Museum of Crypto Art is like my favorite. So uh, <laughs> go check it out. So just to plug you in, I mean, this is like your part of the legacy of all the space. So this has been exciting. Thank you for having us. Breaking news.